to Preparing for the Unexpected with Alex Bullock. People, organizations, and communities need to prepare for and respond to natural and man-made disasters in a timely manner and in the most effective way possible. Our program examines what is being done before, during, and after a disaster and those unexpected events to keep you in the know. Disasters can happen to anyone. The question is, when will it happen to you? Now, here is your host, business continuity and disaster planning expert, Alex Bullock. And welcome to another episode of Preparing for the Unexpected. I'm your host, Alex Fullick, and as always, we like to talk about things related to business continuity, disaster planning, emergency management, uh, crisis management, and anything that's relatable to those topics. Speaking of topics, again, if there is something you'd like us to talk about on the show or you'd like to be on the show to talk about a specific topic, feel free to go to the Voice of America webpage for the show. There is a button, send the guest or sorry, send the host an email or something to that effect. I do get all emails and I do respond to everything. So if you have an idea, please feel free to send it along. A reminder, I will be uh, presenting in San Antonio, Texas at the Continuity Insights Conference, April 20th to 22nd. So if you see me walking around with a uh, handheld recorder, please feel free to come up and uh, say hi, and maybe we'll get you on the show with your comments. Also, the organizers of the Continuity and Resilience Today Conference, or CRT, in Toronto, which is usually in May, uh, for 2020 is going to be moved to October uh, timeframe. I believe it's the 6th to 8th, and the chances are pretty good that I will be there as well since uh, I've enjoyed the last two that they've put on. So again, uh, if you want to attend a conference, uh, CRT is a a good new one uh, to get your teeth into. Great speakers, great topics. So feel free to uh, check out that uh, uh, website, Continuing Resilience Today in Toronto. And today's show is brought to us by the people at Stone Road and their product at boastassessment.com. That's boast, B-O-A-S-T, assessment.com, where they have an application you can use to help monitor the progress of your program, where if you're doing a lot of work on BIAs, you can go through your own checklist and find out where you are and where you need to focus your resources. And it's got different modules in there, testing, um, BIAs, risk assessments, you know, maintenance processes, and you can find out where maybe you need to improve a few things or things that may be sliding off a, a little bit. Uh, other than that, we will um, be talking with our guest today. I will have, uh, uh, I think it'll be a very relevant topic today. And we are going to talk to her, and a lot of you are going to remember who she is. So today's guest is someone I know everyone is very familiar with. Um, she's been on the show uh, three or four times now, and believe it or not, uh, she has a show uh, airing next month, believe it or not, on cybersecurity. But with uh, events that are unfolding in the world today, she happened to reach out a little sooner and see if um, could come on the show and talk about this uh, coronavirus. So I'm very happy to have back for episode number four. Uh, I'd like to welcome Regina Phelps. Regina, welcome back. Alex, thank you so much. It's a delight to be with you again, as always. Well, as I say, you know, I I was really happy to hear from you because I was actually writing some notes saying, you know, who are the next round of guests I was going to reach out to. And you happened to send a note saying, hey, what about uh, talking about coronavirus? And I thought, oh, my God, that's exactly what I wrote down. 
So I thought, yes, let's get <laughs> get Regina on the show as soon as possible. <clears throat> Timing is everything. So, Timing is everything. Ex- exactly. Great minds think alike, right? <laughs> mm-hmm, absolutely. <laughs> just, just in case, um, I won't ask you to go through the full bio because I think by this point everybody should be familiar, but could you give us maybe the 30-second uh, overview of Regina Phelps and what you do? The elevator speech. Uh, I've been in practice for 38 yeah. years. I own a firm that does. Yeah, a long time. Uh, crisis management, business continuity, pandemic planning, and uh, exercise design in four continents. I've actually been doing pandemic planning since uh, the year um, 1998. And I have to give that initial credit, actually, to Toronto. I was up doing a, a speech at the World Conference on Disaster Management. That's right. And I heard the physician who was in charge of the pandemic planning program for the nation of Canada, and she talked at length about the program in Canada and all about the 1918 flu, and I had no idea about any of that. So I came back to the United States, and I said to my team, I said, we have got to figure this out. So we actually did all the research and have been been doing pandemic planning since 1998. So we are well-practiced in this area. Uh, Well, we should be. We've had a few incidents over the last uh, decade or so. Um, you know, all around the globe, H1N1, H5N1, SARS, MERS, you know, there's been quite yeah. a few. So hopefully, uh, hopefully others are versed on this, too. Yes, indeed. And I think uh, we'll see this in, as to be an increasing problem, a lot of it because of two major issues. One is really climate change, which is really affecting uh, animals and critters and, and, and where they live and stay, because many times they're losing their habitat and therefore they're being pushed closer to humans. And then secondarily, there is this um, real change in, in uh, how animals are really interacting with humans in the sense that, uh, for example, bats, and they're very shy animals and they don't want to be around humans at all, but if their habitat's been destroyed or the environment's not good for them, they end up often roosting in areas where they're going to be around animals. So I think as time progresses, we're going to see much more of this animal-human interface that could result in these catastrophic pandemics. So when you strip strip it down based on what you said, we're kind of, I'm not going to say 100%, but we are kind of causing some of our own problem. Yes, actually, that's actually pretty interesting. And, and if you look at, uh, for example, what they do believe happened in China with the coronavirus is that there were large numbers of wild animals in a market that were being held. And it's a very common practice to eat wild animals in China. And they were in that one particular market, there were literally about 50 wild animals. Uh, and many of them were actually reservoirs for the coronavirus. And so you have situations where humans are in contact with bats and civets and other snakes and other animals that do harbor this virus. And then there's that opportunity for them to jump, that virus to jump to humans, which is exactly what happened in China. Well, that adds an interesting point because I've heard different stories myself on the news and having difficulty trying to nail down the cause. Is it because we get scratched by or bitten by some of these animals or is it something in their fur you know or their dander you know how how yep. do we catch this from them it's either it's either from either their blood or it could even be from their saliva it could be from their urine or their feces and if you can imagine that you're butchering an animal and you may or may not have very good protective equipment like a mask over your eyes or something over covering your your nose and mouth or you may not have gloves on, you could actually have an opportunity for any of those vehicles, blood, uh, urine, uh, saliva, 
uh, to actually then enter your bloodstream. And the virus is present in that animal. It interacts with your um, immune system. And next thing you know, that's how it jumps from the animal to the human. And I know you're you're a world traveler, and I've been to quite a few places. And some of these markets, they're quite uh, compact. Uh, there's a lot of people yes. in there. Is that yes, one, one of, of the reasons? There? Yeah. Is that and one of the reasons why it's spreading so much? Yes. Yes, I think there's that, and then they're butchering these live animals in front, often in front of the person who's buying them. And so there's this opportunity for these bodily fluids of this animal, if you will, to be in contact with humans. And that's all that really needs to happen is that there is that interface between the animal and the human. So uh, this is going to be an issue I think that you're going to see increasingly. And it's, you know, it's the background of avian flu as well, right? Avian influenza is transmitted exactly the same way. So with with the current virus, uh, I always want to say start saying SARS for some reason. I guess maybe it's because I went through it. But <laughs> coronavirus, you know, yeah. um, how is it spreading you know, globally? I know that predominantly it's in China right now, but you're starting to hear cruise ships, you know, and mm. people over here yeah. uh, in North America, we're starting to, to see it. How big does it have to, could it get? Well, you know, that's a really good question. So let's just sort of back up for a moment and talk about the coronavirus. So there's there's sure. seven types of coronaviruses, right? So there's four of them that actually we've all had many times that uh, that are the cause of the common cold, and they've been circulating in the human population for a long time. You mentioned SARS, of course, which started in China and migrated significantly to Toronto in 2002 and 2003, uh, and that's a coronavirus as well, and that jumped uh, from um, a civet to a human. Uh, then there's the Middle East Respiratory Syndrome. You mentioned that as well. That's been in the Middle East starting in 2012, and that's actually from bats to camels to humans. Uh, and that's actually much more lethal. Uh, 34% of the people that have that disease die. SARS was about 9 to 10%. The good thing about the current coronavirus, still unnamed, by the way, is that it has a relatively lower fatality rate, 2.2% as of today, but again, you know, it's uh, it's a significant. That's about what the 1918 global pandemic was. So it's it's taken off with a bang, uh, and certainly um, it surpassed the number of cases by far of, of uh, SARS, and it just recently surpassed the number of deaths. So the case count at this moment, which by the way changes pretty frequently, is 40,652 cases worldwide, uh, with 910 deaths. Now, 99% of that is in China, 99%. So just keep that in mind. However, Mm -hmm. there are 27 other countries that have the disease. And as you mentioned, cruise ships is 135 people. Can you imagine being on a cruise ship and being locked in your room? Oh, my gosh. Um, Yes. That are on cruise ships with that illness. So So it's getting around. That's grown. That's grown, believe it or not, from this morning when I first checked, it was just, just over 40,000. And you just said 40,000, almost 41,000 now. Yeah, we're very close to 41,000. It jumps about two or 3,000 cases every day. Although if you look at the actual projected slope of the disease, it is actually starting to, uh, it was actually like a diagonal straight line. But now it's actually beginning to slow Uh, at the peak. And so there are many people that believe that because of the quarantines, 
that China has instituted that we're now seeing this decrease in the number of cases. However, now that many um, areas are going back to work, we'll actually see if that changes or not. You, you mean the, the quarantines are being lifted? Is that what you mean? In, China, in, in some areas, in some areas they are, yes. So, you know, there was the, um, the Lunar New Year holiday in China, which they normally make uh, closures all over the country. Uh, they extended that for a couple of weeks. And now in the areas that are not heavily impacted, which are, there's only two areas that are heavily impacted with the disease, then uh, those other areas are now officially going back to work and school is starting in, in some of those areas. So we will now see what that means. Uh, with the impact to, um, you know, workers and people traveling and so on. So um, that could easily go back up. So we could be at a, I guess you could call it almost a tipping point, you know, either with with people going back to work, either things are going to drop off and we're going to see it decline, excuse me, or we're going to see potentially an escalation. Yes. Yeah, and we are very much a tipping point. And there's also some interesting things going on around the world, too. So in Singapore, they have 44, 45 cases, excuse me, and they actually have had cases that have appeared in financial centers. So there's been a lot of anxiety in Singapore, and there's also been countries now that, you know, Singapore is the financial hub of Asia. They um, have experienced countries saying that they will not allow people to travel to Singapore. So there's a little bit of anxiety there. And then you might have heard over the weekend um, that there were uh, four Brits traveling in France in the Alps. And they uh, had a visitor who was another British person who had gone through Singapore, who actually then infected everybody that was staying in that chateau who were there skiing. And then they also had went around and traveled a bit in, in, the, in that area, that town, and there was a young child with them who was nine years of age who came down with the illness. But the day before they came down with the illness, they visited three schools. So, you know, you can begin to see how it doesn't take much for uh, things to move uh, if given the opportunity. No, pot- potentially it's, it could be a nightmare situation in that. So how, how, don't, yes. how long does it take for if, if I've contracted contracted the coronavirus, how long until I start showing symptoms? That's a great question. The incubation period has varied between two days and 14 days. And the average, I just saw a research study that was non-peer-reviewed, so it's not been reviewed yet by scientists, was 5.2 days was was the average time. So that means, you know, you could be exposed, you could begin to shed the virus, probably within 24 hours, and you're still not feeling sick. So in the case of this guy from Britain, you know, he was in an airport in Singapore, became exposed, he ended up going to France, ended up infecting people there, and then possibly those individuals also could have actually then become um, infected and spreading to other locations, other restaurants and other places that they were visiting, like a young kid visiting three schools. In in five days, not that that's the confirmed period, but in five days, I could do a lot of damage without even knowing it. Right. Exactly right. And I think that's the the thing about these illnesses. And that's why, you know, and so then everybody might say, well, gosh, we should be quarantining everybody. But in reality, (coughs) quarantining isn't always the, the way to go, because if you look at if you look at what happened in uh, Wuhan, they they announced that they were going to do a quarantine. Five million people left that area. Five million. Yes. Well, where did they go? 
<laughs> so, so, uh, and then when you quarantine and you have decreased, uh, food sources, you have decreased medical supplies. And so then people, uh, are often more, much more desperate. So, um, it's, it's not, it's a fine line and there's a lot of conflict about whether a hard quarantine is the best way to manage it. But that's what China's elected to do. And, and we'll see. Um, if the cases continue to drop, then we can say, well, that looked like maybe that was the right thing to do. If they have plateaued up now, which is what it looks like, and they start to increase in the next few days because now that there are areas allowing people to move about, then we might have a different story to tell. Yeah, I think that's a perfect way to end our first segment. We are talking about the coronavirus with Regina Phelps, and we'll be right back. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Are you finding your frequency? It can be described as that space between failure and success. It's the future of digital media. It's finding your voice. It's engaging topics, content, and ideas. Jeff and Ryan discuss the digital media space and all of its aspects. It's about making the mistakes, taking the chances, summoning the intestinal fortitude to step out of your comfort zone, and discovering what you can accomplish when you decide to try, decide to learn, decide that you have something to say, and find your frequency. Live Fridays at 12 noon Pacific Time, 3 p.m. Eastern Time, on the Voice America Variety Channel. After years of waiting, there's a radio show for shotgunning enthusiasts worldwide. Tune into Marty Fisher's Wing and Clay Nation for the very best in wing and clay shooting talk. Join Marty and his guests as they bring you hunting and shooting information that you can use. So whether you're a beginner or a seasoned pro, this show can be your go-to source for wing and clay shooting information. Listen live every Thursday at 6 p.m. Eastern, 3 p.m. Pacific for Marty Fisher's Wing and Clay Nation on the Voice America Variety Channel. Big game seasons are all but finished across the country, but that doesn't mean there is a shortage of outdoor opportunities. Beat the winter outdoor doldrums as a panel of hunting and angling pros join Jim and Trav with tips for predator and shed hunting, ice fishing, and much more. We'll hear from Steve Panaz of Lake Commandos, Cat Daddy, and Kyle Green from the Greenway Outdoors. The Revolution is presented by Outdoor Channel, Sportsman Channel, World Fishing Network, and My Outdoor TV. Saturdays at 9 a.m. Pacific, noon Eastern, on the Voice America Variety Channel. Dialogue is the single most powerful leadership tool we have to make a difference in the world. Leading conversations with host Cheryl Esposito creates a place for that dialogue. Tune into the Voice America Business Channel every Friday as Cheryl hosts new conversations among leaders from around the world in business, government, art, economics, and social change. We'll explore big ideas and everyday actions and learn how their own leadership has led them to discover a newfound sense of possibility in the world. Leading conversations with Cheryl Esposito, bringing big thinkers together in conversations that make a difference right here on the Voice America Business Channel every Friday morning at 10 a.m. Pacific Standard Time. Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for the keywords Voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our timeline. Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for Voice America. Voice America. 
are listening to Preparing for the Unexpected with Alex Fullen. Email your questions to info at stone-road.com. Again, that's I-N-F-O at stone-road.com. Now back to Preparing for the Unexpected. And welcome back to the show. Today we are talking with Regina Phelps about the current coronavirus uh, situation. Uh, Regina, you gave us a lot of great information in the first segment, but I got a quick question for you. If the coronavirus is supposed to be like a flu or a cold, how do I know I have it? What's the difference? Is there a difference? That's a really great question because the symptoms are very similar, right? So if you've ever had the flu, you know what that feels like. It's got, you know, you have a a fever, you have lung congestion, often a lot of coughing, a lot of fluids coming out of your nose and your lungs. You feel like you're hit by a truck. And that's pretty much what the coronavirus is as well. Uh, In the case of some of the more serious people, it really impacts their lungs when they have difficulty breathing. However, for the average person, when they first get it, they're not going to know any difference. So you can certainly be tested uh, at a doctor's office or hospital, and the first thing they would test you for would be influenza A or influenza B. Uh, And if it came back negative, then they would immediately test you for the coronavirus, which is not a quick test, by the way, because there are not enough test kits in the world for all the potential cases. So um, it may take several days to get that, and at that point you have to wait and be quarantined at home. And then then you could have a confirmation if it was a coronavirus or not. So that kind of goes back to what uh, you said in our first segment. In those days while I'm waiting, I could be wandering around with it, spreading it, and not even knowing while I'm waiting for the test result. Right. And ho- well, hopefully what they would do is that they would say to you, Alex, go home, stay home, don't breathe on anybody. However, um, unless you're actually taken and locked up someplace, you, people are self-quarantining, but you don't necessarily know if that's really been effective or if they have really done that. So, yeah, it's a little scary. Yeah. It's, well, self-quarantine. If I self-quarantined, I can guarantee I still be stepping outside because of my dog and going to get the mail. <laughs> yeah, so much for that, huh? <laughs> yeah, you know, even though I'm, you know, staying at home, I'm. It's inevitable. I have to step outside at some point, you know, because of the dog. So right, right. So hopefully, I stay fit. Right. Absolutely. <laughs> now, I hope so too. Uh, you, yeah, you you provided a, a list of some things that we wanted to touch on today about um, what maybe organizations and communities uh, should have in place. And the first one you have is um, a pandemic plan. Can you explain what a pandemic plan is and what it should contain? Because not everybody uh, may have, because we've got listeners around the world, not everybody may have uh, really be up to speed on MERS or SARS or what a pandemic plan is. Sure. So uh, pandemic plans have changed a lot, I think. So we've been writing them since the late 90s. And when we first wrote them, they were tied to the WHO levels, which are the WHO pandemic levels. And then we had our uh, influenza pandemic of 2009. And we realized right away that that was really incorrect. Because if you stop and think about the influenza pandemic in 2009, the good news is it was very mild. It went around the world. Yes, a lot of people got sick, but the world went on. There was really no stop of anything. And most businesses were maybe had a few more sick people than usual, but it wasn't a big deal. So what we realized Mm -hmm. is that all diseases are local. So you can have a global infection, but still what you're doing is what you're going to be doing that you're impacting in front of you. So it has to be based on your local assessment. 
And so that's the, really the first big lesson that we learned is you have to tie it to local conditions, what's happening in your area. All businesses are actually governed, if you will, about a health emergency uh, by the Department of Public Health in their province or county or city or state. Uh, that is actually who determines your life. So you write a basic plan, but you have to work in very close uh, contact with your local health department when something happens. We've encouraged our clients to write really an infectious disease and pandemic plan. And what do I mean by that? You could have a situation, mm-hmm. frankly, that only impacts you. Think of a case of measles in a call center or mumps or something like that. You're the only one that has the problem. Nobody else does. So that means that you are going to have to institute a, a pandemic or a disease-related plan. So your plan should be written that it could help you if it's just you or it's the entire community. And it should basically have kind of three sections. What's everything you want to do in advance of, a, of an outbreak? So hopefully all of you have a pandemic plan. You could pull it out, and there'd be a list of things that you have already done to be ready in case something happens. The second part of the plan should be how do you assess the threat? And then the third part of the plan should be actually a series of phases based on the impact and severity that you're experiencing at your location, which could be just your building or your city or or a larger metropolitan area. And we basically color code those in kind of yellow, orange, red, and gray, which as the the colors imply kind of minimal transmission, moderate transmission, human-to-human transmission, until it's actually uncontrolled transmission. So is this plan, these pandemic plans, that's part of your overall, um, I, I guess, uh, disaster program or business continuity management program, right? It, it's it's another piece of that whole puzzle. It's another piece, exactly. And, and when, we, when we write them, they're going to be administered by your, your crisis management team of your organization, right? Because, and to me, it really sits as kind of an appendix or a, an annex, if you will, of a crisis management plan. We write all, hazard, all hazards plans. We don't write a fire plan, an earthquake plan, a hurricane plan. They're all hazards based on yeah. you know, the availability of the building, technology, et cetera. But a disease plan is so different, so different, that your regular crisis plan will not help you. It doesn't give you any guidance at all. So that's why you need this sort of annex uh, uh, of infectious disease and pandemic planning. Yeah, I agree with you completely. You know, I, I always tell people, pandemic plan, look at it this way. Your key your key focus is people to start with. Mm-hmm. You know, right. It's, it's not about a server going down. <laughs> you know, it's, right. it's people. Right. You know. <laughs> right. You'll start and, and there what first. You have to do is you, yeah, what you have to do is you have to look at your key areas. So I would want to look at your pandemic plan, and I would want to see that you'd actually looked at, like, you know, what's business continuity doing? What are the key lines of business doing? What is communications yeah. doing? And kind of listing all the big departments, facilities, security, you know, those people that are going to likely have a lot of impact about what their actions mm-hmm. would be in each one of those colored phases. But you're right, Alex, it's all about people, all about people. Well, you, you mentioned communications and, and crisis management. And in your notes, you, you said uh, develop some sort of a um, update to the crisis management team? Am I understanding that correctly yeah. um, when yeah. something so, like this goes on? Yeah, let me let me talk about that because I, I would hope all your listeners are frankly doing that right now. I've been, um, for the last, I guess it's been now four weeks, we've been really pushing this with our clients is that since the middle of January, they needed to really look at this. 
So a regular sit stat report, so a situation status report, your executives and your crisis management team should be getting from the business continuity group on a daily basis what's happening. So we know what's happening as far as the number of cases in the world, number of deaths, number of countries, and any kind of impact it might be having to you kind of the general communication statements. And many of my clients, even though they're not yet expect, having any um, effects from this, they are still keeping everybody in the loop so that we're, again, aware and alert about what's going on. Some of my clients have actually had dramatic impacts with significant impacts to their supply chain, significant impacts in their ability to produce what they manufacture. Those are my clients who are actually in Asia. So it really varies a lot, but I think it's really important that you, you collect situational awareness and you know where to get your information, and you're going to, uh, your Aussie would be collecting situational awareness actually from two different sources. One would be internally, you know, and I always ask people in their, in their situational awareness gathering, look at basically five areas. What's going on with your people? So, for example, are you seeing an increase in illnesses? Uh, which is, you know, we're still in the flu season, so that even makes it a little confusing. But have, are, 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 what's our illness rate look like? Is there anything going on with our facilities? What about our technology? Many, many people are having more cyber attacks, by the way, and hacking attempts with very creative hackers who are sending emails to employees. Want to learn about the coronavirus? Click here. Oish. Right? Uh, what mm, about business yeah. operations? So supply chain issues, and then impacts to reputation and brand. So internally, you should be looking at those five areas. And then externally, you should have a really good list of reliable, credible health sources. Uh, the WHO would be certainly the first choice here in America would be the CDC, your local health department. Uh, and I hope that if you have a chance of a big impact, you also have a relationship with an infectious disease physician who could advise you and counsel you. So that's a good form of external communication, but you also want to have a good, credible news source that you could go to for general information about what's trending. So like the New York Times, Bloomberg, The Guardian, Washington Post, other credible agencies. And then if you look at anything on social media related to this disease, you had better triple, quadruple check that information because there is a lot of incredible, crazy conspiracy theories on social media about this whole disease. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I've seen <laughs> that. There is. Oh, my God. It's unbelievable. Now, you, you mentioned um, it got me thinking of facilities and, you know, uh, looking at what happens there. Is there a difference? Do you have any anything to say when your organization is actually in a larger facility sharing offices with other companies besides um, or, or versus having their own facility, you know, where it's, they're the yeah. only host. Is there different considerations we should take in and partnerships? Cause you mentioned, yeah. you know, reaching externally and things like that. Yeah. You should have a very good relationship with your landlord or your property manager because you don't own your life. I mean, essentially if there's a problem that occurs and this happened in Singapore, actually, in one of their big financial centers, it was a mixed-use building with multiple tenants. There was a person in that building who actually became infected with the disease, and then that entire building was shut down. Uh, and that was at the call of initially of the health department, but then in concert with the landlord. And so your landlord uh, determines your destiny. And so I would 
I would pray that all of you had a good relationship with your landlord. You've been checking in with them, that they, you knew exactly what their plans were and what they would do. Um, and also, I'd like to know, for, frankly, you know, what kind of cleaning are they doing? Are they cleaning um, all of the handrails more regularly than normal? Are they cleaning elevator buttons and things that they never clean? Because this disease is spread uh, by often by, you know, somebody coughing and they cover their uh, cough with their hand and they touch the elevator button and then they touch the doorknob and then they touch the uh, banister on the staircase. And then you come along and you touch all those things and the next thing you know, you scratch those and then you're going to be sick. So I'd like to know those kinds of things. So, yes, you really want to reach out to them. Absolutely. Oh, good, because some people miss that part. You know, they just look at it yes. from their own perspective. And yet, meanwhile, they're the uh, across the hall. Another company has a problem. And if you don't know <clears> about <throat> it, well, you know, it's going to impact you as well. Absolutely. You, you also made mention that companies need to assess their supply chains. Isn't that a part of normal business continuity? What would be the difference here? That's a really great question. I think what happens in, in, um, in many organizations is they may not go down to the nth little tiny degree that they need to in the area of supply chain. So first of all, you may know that you get your uh, – I'll just pick a common thing that now is not available almost anywhere, and that's surgical masks or uh, for uh, gloves. You may know that you get your gloves or your masks from a particular vendor, you know, ABC vendor. Well, great. But the question is, where did they get the masks from? Where do they get the gloves from? Well, guess where that is? China. Almost all medical supplies mm. worldwide come from China. Um, so, really? it's, it's, you know, I think when we do supply chain analysis, we just go to the vendor who we buy our things from, but we don't go any deeper than that. So I think it's important that you, if you have things that you need in order to do your work, whatever that might be, that you actually really dig deep. Some people are, my, some of my clients are immediately impacted right now. And you've seen of certainly of like Apple immediately said that they were already, you know, talking about the impact of their supply chain and the fact that there are many companies now that have already redone their quarterly results forecast because of what's happening in China. Uh, either because of the loss of suppliers or the fact that uh, the Chinese consumer is not consuming. And so, therefore, many companies are feeling a big impact. So I would ask all of your listeners to think about where do you get stuff, but dig deeper. And a good example might be, let's say that you have a – maybe you're a city or a county, and you think about uh, parts that go into something that you replace all the time, like something in a generator or something on a – on a on a, a stoplight at, at an intersection. Well, maybe that one little piece that you replace on some regular basis is actually made in China, and it comes to you through another supplier in the United States. And when you go to order it, you find, oh my gosh, we can't get it. So that's what mm-hmm. I'm really asking people to do is to dig deep. Well, we we've actually come to the end of our second segment, but I want to ask you a question anyway. You mentioned masks. And mm. I think this is one of the topics that are, you know, all over the news and it, there's misinformation. And I know with your background, you have a nursing background, you know, mm-hmm. so what are your thoughts on masks? Do they help or don't they? Or That's what do you question. have to say to I'll put you on the spot with That's a really great choosing question. one side? <laughs> you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's a really good question. You know, should you be wearing a mask? More than likely, no. Now, if you're sick and you're wandering around outside, yes, you should put a mask on because at least you would be 
preventing spewing so much stuff in front of other people. But for the average person, if you're walking around, you don't need a mask. Now, culturally, I know in China, everybody's wearing a mask simply because if you don't wear a mask, people would look at like you, you know, were crazy. But what I would say to you is if you're sick and you and you have to go out or you go to a doctor's office, yes, you should put a mask on. If you're wandering around without any illness at all, no, you don't need to wear a mask. The only exception I would say to you is if you're in an airplane and you're within two rows of somebody who's coughing, I'd put a mask on in a heartbeat. There are studies that show that if you are within two rows of a sick person, your chances of getting ill are much greater. So, and also sitting on the aisle because people walk back and forth uh, near you. But if people are coughing on a plane, I wouldn't hesitate for a second to put a mask on. Oh, good. I'm glad to hear uh, that explanation because, that, like, as I said, that's <laughs> one of the topics I've been seeing on the news where um, somebody was claiming, if you wear a mask, you, you know, you won't catch anything, you'll be fine. And another mm-hmm. one saying masks don't do anything. So I really wanted to hear it from an expert who knows what they're talking about. <laughs> so we've come to the end of our second segment. We, today we are talking with Regina Phelps about the coronavirus. We'll be right back. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Are you finding your frequency? It can be described as that space between failure and success. It's the future of digital media. It's finding your voice. It's engaging topics, content, and ideas. Jeff and Ryan discuss the digital media space and all of its aspects. It's about making the mistakes, taking the chances, summoning the intestinal fortitude to step out of your comfort zone, and discovering what you can accomplish when you decide to try, decide to learn, decide that you have something to say, and find your frequency. Live Fridays at 12 noon Pacific Time, 3 p.m. Eastern Time, on the Voice America Variety Channel. After years of waiting, there's a radio show for shotgunning enthusiasts worldwide. Tune into Marty Fisher's Wing and Clay Nation for the very best in wing and clay shooting talk. Join Marty and his guests as they bring you hunting and shooting information that you can use. So whether you're a beginner or a seasoned pro, this show can be your go-to source for wing and clay shooting information. Listen live every Thursday at 6 p.m. Eastern, 3 p.m. Pacific for Marty Fisher's Wing and Clay Nation on the Voice America Variety Channel. Big game seasons are all but finished across the country, but that doesn't mean there is a shortage of outdoor opportunities. Beat the winter outdoor doldrums as a panel of hunting and angling pros join Jim and Trav with tips for predator and shed hunting, ice fishing, and much more. We'll hear from Steve Panaz of Lake Commandos, Cat Daddy, and Kyle Green from the Greenway Outdoors. The Revolution is presented by Outdoor Channel, Sportsman Channel, World Fishing Network, and My Outdoor TV. Saturdays at 9 a.m. Pacific, noon Eastern on the Voice America Variety Channel. Dialogue is the single most powerful leadership tool we have to make a difference in the world. Leading conversations with host Cheryl Esposito creates a place for that dialogue. Tune into the Voice America Business Channel every Friday as Cheryl hosts new conversations among leaders from around the world in business, government, art, economics, and social change. We'll explore big ideas and everyday actions and learn how their own leadership has led them to discover a newfound sense of possibility in the world. Leading conversations with Cheryl Esposito, bringing big thinkers together in conversations that make a difference right here on the Voice America Business Channel every Friday morning at 10 a.m. Pacific Standard Time. 
Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for the keywords Voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our timeline. Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for Voice America. listening to Preparing for the Unexpected with Alex Fullen. Email your questions to info at stone-road.com. Again, that's I-N-F-O at stone-road.com. Now back to Preparing for the Unexpected. Welcome back to the show. Today we are talking with Regina Phelps about the coronavirus. Uh, Regina, you're, you've given us a lot of great information um, again, and I know it's going to continue into this segment as well. Um, one of the next things you have is communicating with key stakeholders. What, what do you mean by that? That's a really great question. And I think what I'm asking all of our clients to do is to not be flat-footed. They should be thinking about what they need to be talking about to their key stakeholders. So that starts with your employees. Uh, that could go to your big customers. Uh, if you're publicly traded, that might be your investors. It might be government, government folks or regulators that you might be regulated by. The idea is, well, what would you be saying? So many of my clients have already been reached out to by media, by investors, by government officials, asking them about what their level of preparedness is, what their plans are. And you don't want to be kind of hemming and hawing. So at this point, I would ask all of your your listeners to really make sure they have standard holding statements about where we are in this situation. And they should be prepared that if there was a disease outbreak and it affected your company, like maybe an employee comes to work and they're sick, you should really be thinking about what your statements would be so you're not, again, flat-footed and look like you haven't thought about this. So that's something that everybody could do right now. And you next talk, well, that's kind of like you're educating your stakeholders, but you also talk about educating employees. Yes. How do you do that? That is that is super important because, you know, again, uh, where do you spend so much time? Most people are spending eight plus hours in an office. So this is a great time to educate your employees and just remind them of some good practices. So good hand washing techniques. Put signs up in your, in your, in your, uh, in your restrooms and place them throughout your building. Talking about things like cough hygiene that people should not cough into their hands. They should be coughing into their sleeve or they should be using a tissue and then washing their hands. So that's super important, and and it's a good reminder that we should be talking about with all of our employees. And then another thing that I would really encourage all of your listeners is that when people are sick, they should be home. There's a term called presentism, which is the act of showing up to work sick. And I don't know about in Canada or other places around the world, but wow, I will tell you, that in the United States, it's very common that people go to sick and they are, uh, go to work and they are super sick. And they're spewing all of that stuff all over their coworkers and it's just like a, like a plague. And so if you're sick, stay home. I hope everyone heard that because I work with people who show <laughs> up who are sick. <laughs> um, yeah, you know, talk part about of the importance. Is, uh, go ahead, go ahead. You also talk about the importance of um, uh, emergency notification uh, systems or do you mean like the uh, like applications where you just kind of blast off information to, to people? You know, yeah. Like that? 
Yeah, so if companies do have an emergency notification system, and increasingly more and more people have those, you know, the good thing about that is you can send out a message to all of your employees. If, if this situation got really bad, you can imagine that you might have a daily message that you send out to your employees saying, you know, are you know, are you do you have a temperature or not? Are you well or not? You know, are, are you able to work from home or whatever the, the query might be? But it only is good as the information that you have in that system, and so. Many times employers don't use it very often or they don't test it very often <coughs> and they don't know if the information is good. So this is an opportunity for you to market this system to your employees, make sure that the information they have is good, you have a good home phone number, you have a personal mobile, a home email, and then you really talk about how important it is and it's a great time to conduct an exercise of this emergency notification system to see that it works. And if I'm wrong, you had a show talking about exercises like that, didn't you? <laughs> I do. I do, actually. <laughs> <laughs> um, you also talk about, and this one, uh, I'm, I'm sure it's going to get people uh, a little curious, review your BIAs. How does right. that come into so, play for a pandemic? Well, you think about your recovery time objectives and, and think about... Um, uh, what could happen if indeed you really do have a, a decrease in staff availability? And so I really encourage you to think about what kind of, uh, what, uh, what are your time sensitive, mission critical business processes? What if all of a sudden you have a large staff reduction uh, and people are not able to complete them? And so it's really going back and seriously looking at your BIA because sometimes I find that when people really push comes to shove that those BIA numbers change a bit where they're not as acute as they might have been. It'd be really important to understand that. And what if you had to do things like social distancing and everybody had to be three feet apart that they had to go to work? Or what if you had to shift work to another location because the primary office is closed and you need to then shift work to another one of your company locations? Or what about if you need more cross-training in order to really accomplish these jobs? I think if you look at the BIA and the BCP through the lens of an infectious disease, you can actually find a lot of holes and issues with it. And so I really encourage all of your listeners to really think about that. And there's one thing I want to tie with that, and that is the issue of employee categorization. So let me just quickly talk about what that is. The idea of an employee categorization, we make people do this in a pandemic plan, but I'll tell you it's just as effective for a business continuity plan. And that's where you actually divide your employees into one of four categories. Let me tick them off quickly. Category one is where your employees are mission critical, time sensitive, but they can only do their job at work. They cannot work remotely. Now, for some of my clients, that's a, there's a large number of people, like manufacturing, they can't do that remotely, right, or other types of right. um, activities. And why that's important is it tells you how many masks you might need to have, how much kind of security, how much more cleaning. If you can close your office, it's easy, right, if everybody works from home. But if you have to have people on site and you have a disease present, oh my gosh, you have to think about a zillion things, right? So it tells you right away about that. Category two are those people that are mission critical, time sensitive, but they can work remotely. So that then pushes your issue about your capacity for VPN. Do they have the right equipment that they need in order to be able to do their job? And can they do it uh, and collaborate and do all the things that they need to do for, a, you know, a week or two weeks or three weeks? Um, so that's important. So you have a one, category one, a category two. Category three are those people that could backfill a one or a two. 
Um, so they're not going to, you're not buying equipment for them or any of those kinds of things. And then a category four are those people that are not time sensitive, not mission critical, and cannot work remotely. So things like possibly a um, receptionist or maybe a uh, somebody in shipping and receiving or something like that, they can't do their job uh, remotely and, and they may not be mission critical. But what if you, if you actually categorize your staff, then you clearly understand what your resource requirements are for both having people at work or having them work remotely. And that, frankly, should be part of every business continuity plan. It should be. I, I agree. Um, a lot of times <clears throat> I've used the same thing. And what one thing that I want to point out that was interesting is during the summertime, a lot of people take vacations. So a lot mm -hmm. of clients that I talk to in the summertime were saying, well, we can lose up to 20% 20, 20 of our employees during the summer because, you know, to, to a disease or something, because that's what we normally have anyway. So we're able to, <laughs> we already have, like their, their part of normal operations was to be without 20% of their staff for four months of the year. Wow. Wow. That's amazing. Yeah. It, it was, I, I thought it was interesting when I heard that and they said, well, yeah, 20%, you know, vacations we we know what's going on. We know people are all, uh, you know, absent. So we, we know how to operate. I went, Oh, that's interesting. <laughs> um, the next thing you talk, the next thing you talk about is reaching out to third party vendors and what's happening with them. You kind of mm. touched on it a little bit earlier, but can you kind of recap that? Yeah. So the third party vendors is, I mean, think about, I mean, many of my clients have, they have, have outsourced a zillion things, whether it could be their computer operations or their, um, their um, mail call centers, um, a zillion things. So what is their pandemic plan? What is their process for continuing to operate when they have this type of outbreak? Do they have a disease plan? What's their current status right now? So if you, let's say you have a call center that's actually operating in the Philippines, for example, or you have a call center in India. Uh, in different parts of the world, or you have um, help desk support. You know, what's their status? What's their disease plan? I would really ask for that kind of documentation, really understand it, because if you're really dependent on these individuals, are they going to be able to deliver um, when this happens and if their country or location in the United States becomes affected? And there's a high possibility, if you look at the countries that are currently impacted, that that could happen to some of your listeners where they lose a particular critical third-party supplier. Does that also include, you know, um, I guess that's looking externally, but in some respects, we ourselves could be a third party to somebody, right? So we have to be able to provide the same kind of information to others as we're expecting them to provide us. Absolutely. And I've had some of my clients now, with increasing frequency in the last 10 days in particular, saying that they've had calls from major customers asking them about their pandemic plan and what their plans are for a disease outbreak. Because people are starting to think like, oh my gosh, you know, what if Alex can't support me and I need that? Uh, and they're actually querying, which is good. They should be asking those questions. And I invite your, your um, listeners to really think about, they should be asking that of their vendors. And if they are a vendor, they should have that as part of your holding statements and all of your communications what are you saying to people when they call you to say, tell me about what your infectious disease and pandemic plan is and how can you stay in business when this particular outbreak gets worse? It's, uh, it's, it could really get crazy for some people, but really 
some of this reaching out, don't you think they, people should already be doing that as part of their normal um, business continuity uh, supply chain management investigations. You know, wh- why does it take uh, something like this, a pandemic, to get people thinking? Well, you know, I think it's a great question. And I will tell you, in all of our clients all over the world, in, a, in the course of a 12-month period, how many activations do we have? It's very few, less than a handful. And most clients of mm. ours never have an activation in the course of a, 20, a 12-month period. And they can go sometimes years without activating. So what does that happen? What, how, how does that change people's mindset over time? They get a little less particular, a little less concerned, a little less detailed. And it's only when something really bad happens, they go like, oh my gosh, what could happen? And so I, what I would, yeah. I would say is that we become complacent. And it's not that we're bad people. It's not that we're not concerned. But in fact, is like, you know, when was the last time it happened? And the answer for most of us is going to be, well, you know, never. And so I think that's how it happens, Alex, that over time it just erodes. Yeah, yeah, I think so too. I think complacency, and you get comfortable. You get in a comfort zone. Right, you know. right, absolutely. So our, our next, the next thing you mentioned is inventory your personal protective equipment. Now, what do you mean yeah. by that? What's, what's protective personal equipment? Well, in a disease issue, you're really looking at, at a couple of things. Masks would be one. And even though I mentioned earlier that masks are not going to be an issue um, for protecting you for the most part, but if all of a sudden you have somebody that was immediately sick at work and coughing and hacking and carrying on, I'd want to make sure that the people taking care of that person had a mask on just like a health professional would. Gloves, mm-hmm. lots of hand sanitizers. So you have hand sanitizer everywhere. I mean, everywhere. And the other question would yeah. be is that if you have to have a only category one people working, do you have enough supplies to keep them safe at work if they needed them? So masks and gloves and hand sanitizers and basic, you know, solid cleaning equipment for your janitorial staff. So making sure that you have those things now. And by the way, they are hard to find because all the masks and gloves are pretty much made in Asia. Yeah. Yeah, like you mentioned earlier, yeah, that that would be tough. Believe it or not, we've got less than three minutes, so I know this is a, a big one for you too. Increase your information security screening. Can you take two minutes on that one? Yeah, yeah, I'll take a, a minute or two to talk about this. You know, you know, scammers and hackers are smart people, right? They're they know what they're doing, and there has been a huge increase. Uh, this has been documented in research by both IBM and Kapersky that hackers have been sending tons of spam mail and phishing mail uh, in hopes of really infecting either smartphones or computers with malicious software all about this idea of the virus. So they're talking about what's going on with the coronavirus. If you want more information, if you want to keep your family safe, blah, 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 blah. And they're really taking advantage of people's fears. And a lot of people are very afraid. So you think of a really scary email that gets to your desk, you may often be very careful when you click on things, but a lot of people are being less careful. So there's been a big increase in malware. So I think your information security teams need to really think about their parameters, be investigating this more, educating people in the workplace about especially disease-related emails or concerns or anything like that so that people, again, are not letting their guard down simply because somebody's going to provide them with this critical information about the coronavirus. It's probably a scam. So really educating your employees, but also making your information security teams aware that they need to really ratchet up their screens and be careful 
of what's going on because there's a lot more of this right now. Take take this disaster type situation and turn it into a little bit of an opportunity to educate people. Absolutely. Right? Never let a, cri- a good crisis well, go to waste. Yeah, exactly. Well, we've got one minute left. Regina, thank you very much again for sharing your time and expertise with us. I think this has been very informative uh, for a lot of people around the globe. So I really appreciate you um, reaching out and wanting to talk to us about it. You're welcome. I'm, I'm hopeful that people take this seriously and they really pull out their plans and make a concerted effort to make not only their employees safe, but their company safe and therefore their community safe. Me too. I agree with you completely. And to all our listeners out there, if there's a topic you want us to talk about, please feel free to send me a note. I'll be at the Continuity Insights Conference April 20th to the 22nd in San Antonio. Uh, Probably the CRT Conference in Toronto on October 6th to 8th. And thanks to everyone at Stone Road and BoastAssessment.com for their product and sponsoring the show today. And once again, thanks to Regina for sharing her time and expertise. And in the meantime... Stay prepared, everybody. Thank you for joining us for Preparing for the Unexpected. Please tune in for another edition featuring your host, Alex Bullock, next Thursday at 6 a.m. Pacific Time and 9 a.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. We'll see you here next week.